0: All right. so welcome everyone. We've got a few few of our regulars away this week, but uh, I can see the main ones are here. (laughs) Don't tell the others I said that, will you? Okay, Uh, we'll continue then with our series in John's Gospel, and uh, this week I've entitled it, Jesus Betrayed and Glorified. Now, I don't know if you've ever been betrayed before. If you have, you'll know it's not a pleasant thing. Uh, Especially when the one who has betrayed you is close to you, a friend, someone you trusted, and then they put the knife in your back. It's not a pleasant thing. Jesus was betrayed. He suffered the most severe betrayal. And in this passage that we're going to look at, he shares how it affected him, how it impacted him. Remember, Jesus, though God came as a human being. And he experienced the sorrow the the grief of that betrayal and i i believe that what he shares is going to help us today and uh, also lead us on to looking at things from a different perspective so let's make a start we're in uh, uh, john chapter 13 picking up where we left off last week verse 18 jesus said i do not speak concerning all of you i know whom i have chosen But that the scriptures may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now Jesus forewarned that one of the 12 who had been with him for three years would betray him. Not only did he warn them, but he showed that it was foretold in the scriptures. It was one of those 300 plus prophecies about the first coming of Jesus, all of which were fulfilled. And so he showed them these things so that they wouldn't be alarmed when it happened they would know it was all under God's control from the beginning and that he is in control, he's on the throne. And even though Jesus foresaw this, and it was predicted in the Old Testament, it was Judas's choice that was foreseen. He was not predestined to this act, even though we could foresee it from Scripture. It's not that um, Judas was kind of uh, wired to do this It was still his choice. He was still responsible. It's just that God lives outside of time and he can see all things perfectly. And so he was able to say what was going to happen, the choice that Judas was going to make. Now, how did Jesus feel about this betrayal? Well, he quotes from Psalm 41, where David said that though he was assailed by many foes, and we know he was, he was constantly pursued and... uh, Uh, attacked yet the betrayal by a close friend of his was far worse than all those other trials it's one thing to be opposed by your enemy but to be betrayed by a friend is is a far worse thing and uh, he quoted from Psalm 41 let me just give you a little bit of background so that you understand the context of this Uh, David had a son whose name was Absalom he had many sons and David's son, Absalom, killed one of his other brothers, one of his, one of David's other sons, one of his stepbrothers, basically, or half-brothers, I should say, sorry. And um, uh, David, as a result of that, had to banish Absalom from his presence. And he was out of his presence for, I think it was something like two years. Eventually, he was persuaded to bring him back in and to forgive him which he did. But as soon as Absalom came back in, he started plotting against David to take over the throne. And he's actually in the end staged a coup. He had the numbers. David wasn't very popular at that time. And he was able to uh, uh, create this atmosphere of rebellion against David, Absalom. And he led that. And uh, what happened in the midst of that is one of David's dear friends, a man by the name of Ahithophel. You may have heard of him. He was uh, David's counselor, very wise man, gifted by God with incredible wisdom. David always sought his counsel and he was like a close friend to David. When he saw what was happening, he thought, well, David's ship is sinking, and he jumped ship. He went on to the other side, he joined Absalom, and offered his services to absalom to to give his counsel against david so that david could be caught and killed it was a terrible thing and so david spoke about that in this psalm and as i said he said you know you count all the other things i've gone through this was harder to deal with this betrayal by a friend than the attacks of my enemies and he said this as we just read quoting from that psalm psalm 41 he that has eaten bread with me sat at my table my friend has lifted up his heel against me now that's a saying uh, like to be kicked by a horse you know uh, i've I've never owned a horse but i do know that some horse owners who have a close relationship with their horse they, they might be tending their horse one day and all of a sudden for no reason the the horse would just kick them you know And uh, wherever wherever the kick lands, it's a very painful thing. It can be fatal. It's a very powerful thing. And so David likened it to be like being kicked by a horse, this betrayal. Now, Jesus said, that's how it feels for me. When when, when he saw Judas and what, what Judas was going to do, that he was going to go and betray him and actually sell him for 30 pieces of silver, he quoted that psalm to say, this is what it feels like for me. Then for some reason, in the context, the next verse, Jesus said this. We'll just go back and look at it. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives me, receives whomever I send. Uh, Sorry, I'll say that again. I said, he who receives me, whomever I send, receives me. Uh, And he who receives me, receives him who sent me so basically he was saying whatever they do to you the way they respond to you when you represent me they're actually responding to me and they're responding to god and and let's go back again to our notes here because paul said a similar thing he said now we are ambassadors for christ now an ambassador doesn't represent himself he represents the country or the the monarch or whoever it is that he's representing and so however those he's representing to treat him. They're actually not treating him that way, but the one that he's representing, the country that he's representing. And Jesus, sorry, Paul said, we are ambassadors for Christ. And so as, as it's as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And however people respond to that, they're not actually responding to you. And, and, and so Jesus was saying, you may even be betrayed. You may even be opposed. You may even be persecuted. But remember this, it's not against you. It's for me. You are representing me. And so it's, uh, it's uh, actually a rejection of me. Now, when Jesus said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. That word troubled, we've already looked at that. Jesus was troubled. It's the same word that Jesus used or was used about Jesus when he was at the grave of Lazarus. And it actually means to be agitated, like the sea is sometimes stirred up and agitated. And and that's how Jesus was at the grave of, of Lazarus when he saw the morning, he saw... You know, what sin had done, the death that it caused and the sorrow that it brought to the world. He was stirred up and he and was actually angry against that. And, and here we see Jesus was agitated as he, as he saw and you know, Ju- Judas right there sitting next to him, planning his, plotting his betrayal. And he was agitated by all these things. Now, he was not emotionally detached from the events surrounding his death this is what i want you to enter into is that that jesus felt all these things just as you and i would he was a his humanity was as real as ours and his announcement about betrayal startled the disciples though he had announced it at least a year earlier in john chapter 6 verse 70 we looked at that that was about a year before but you know many of the things that jesus said to the disciples went over their heads we know that it's very clear and um, uh, that was one of the things that just obviously shot past them and so they were startled they were perplexed about this and, and they started to think is it me not that they thought that they were harboring any kind of plan to set him up and betray him like Judas was but maybe they thought you know, accidentally we're going to give some information that's going to lead to his arrest and, and, and that will lead to his crucifixion. Is it me that's going to do that? And so all, none of them were thinking, is it this one or is it that one? And so Peter beckoned to John, who was next to Jesus, leaning against his bosom, to ask him who it was. Now, you know, in that sitting there was, um, they reclined around the table. And so they were they were sitting down and, and, and John would be on Jesus's right hand side, leaning back upon his chest. And so Peter motioned to him across the table, asked Jesus who it was, who it would be. And Jesus said it would be the one to whom he gave the special morsel of bread. Now, I'm sure you've heard this before. There's, there was a custom that when they ate a meal like that, when the host took a piece of bread and scooped up some of the tidbits maybe some sauce or or meat or fish or something like that and, and gave it to one of the others that were there it was like a real thing of honor he was honoring that person so what a contrast you know Judas was plotting his betrayal and Jesus was reaching out to him still right to the end in love he honored him before all the others And gave him this special morsel of bread now this phrase whom Jesus loved I'm sure you've seen this in the Gospel of John John's the only one that mentions it and it's a reference to himself four times he mentions that the disciple whom Jesus loved now I've heard some people uh, you know because there have been some good sermons about that but some people have come away from those sermons thinking you know, they start referring to themselves now. I'm, I'm the one whom Jesus loves and the one whom Jesus loves. And It's almost like they do it to bring attention to themselves. But Judas, sorry, not Judas, John mentions it in an anonymous way. He doesn't want to lift himself up as to say, you know, I'm a special one or anything like that. I'm the favoured one. I'm, I'm better than the others. He's not saying that. He's really lifting up the love of Jesus. That Jesus loved him he, he got it he understood I know that I am loved by him amen so he was really lifting up Jesus uh, and not himself not boasting in an egotistical way now after the piece of bread Satan entered him then Jesus said to him what you do do quickly but no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him For some thought, because Judas had the money box, he was the treasurer, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately and it was night. Wow. It's telling, isn't it? So for Jesus to speak to Judas privately, he probably would have been on his immediate left. John was on his right leaning against this but Judas was on his left and and the disciples thought that Judas had some business regarding preparing for the feast or, or giving some money to the poor as they did from time to time out of out of their, their their money box so Judas's last opportunity to renounce his wicked intention was now past. the Bible says Satan entered him wow isn't that a tragic verse? Satan entered him. He belonged to Satan. He had reached the point of no return. It's not failure which opens us up to Satan. You know, I, I thank God that Trevor just shared what he did share at the table because all of us fail. Every one of us fail. Every one of us. But that doesn't open us up to Satan. It opens us up to Jesus. Amen. The Bible says, let us come boldly. To the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. When we have a need, when we have a, a, a failing, a falling, we, we run to Jesus. And he always receives us. It's not failure that opens us up to Jesus. Sorry, uh, opens us up to Satan. It's rejection of Jesus which opens a person to Satan. That's the only thing for which there is no forgiveness, because he's the only one that can save us. And Judas not only rejected him, but he betrayed him into the hands of his enemies. He knew two things when Jesus gave him that bread. First of all, he'd been discovered. Jesus knew all along what he was going to do. But he also knew that he was still loved. The fact that Jesus offered him this morsel as a token of friendliness. And yet he shut his heart against them both. And then it says, not coincidentally... It was night. It's always night when we walk away from Jesus. Amen. If not literally, metaphorically, it's nighttime. It's dark. And that's what Jesus, uh, Judas did. He went out into the night and it was dark. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, I, uh, as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, the same. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Amen. So death was now certain. Judas was on his way to betray him to the ones that would come and arrest him and take him to the authorities that would crucify him. Death was certain. Jesus had deliberately walked into the storm but remember this he was in control as we've seen many times in John's gospel uh, they tried to take him and arrest him the crowds did that sometimes the crowd was angry and they were going to kill him there and then on the spot but they weren't able to he either hid himself or he was able to walk through the midst of them and nobody was able to touch him the same with the the leaders and the rulers They, they wanted to take him they tried to find stones to stone him but he went out of their midst he was in control, but now the time had come. And so he walked straight into the storm, knowing that the next day he would be crucified. This is the last usage of the term that Jesus used about himself, the Son of Man. He called himself the Son of Man. Twelve times, actually, in John's Gospel, he uses that term, the Son of Man. And uh, it means that he is the perfect man, the, the representative of humanity before God. He's the one that goes before God to represent us and he's the perfection of humanity and he perfectly represents God to man. He's the mediator, he's the son of man and, and many of the scriptures speak about the Messiah as the son of man, the one uh, to who will come and to whom rulership of this world will be handed to because God always wanted this planet to be ruled by mankind. Now it's under the rulership of Satan. He's the Prince of this world. He's the ruler of this world. He's the God of this world. But the Son of Man is coming and has paid the price for the redemption, not only of our souls, but of this planet. And, and so he used that term there. And the term glorified, I don't know if you noticed, that was used five times in those first two verses. Five times. The Son of Man, is, the one who was most betrayed, is now going to be glorified more than any other being. Isn't that interesting? And in fact there was no glorification without the betrayal. Think about that. Jesus knew it was necessary. It was going to happen. It was a part of the process. Betrayal led to glorification. Jesus used that word in reference to his death and his resurrection and his ascension. The world looked at the cross and could only say, "Look at that man, he's humiliated, he's disgraced, he's cursed." The Bible says, cursed is anyone who hangs upon a tree. But Jesus looked at the cross, knowing what will be accomplished by it, and could say, glorify it. The Son of Man will be glorified. And uh, there's three reasons I want to give you at least for that. First of all, in the cross, He performed the greatest work which the whole history of the entire universe has ever witnessed there's no event greater than the cross you know the God was manifest in the flesh he came to live as a human being fully God yet fully man living a perfect life and then going to the cross to die in our place to suffer our shame our judgment the wrath of God in our place so that we could be reconciled to God. There's nothing ever that's taken place in the history of this world that is greater than that. Now is the son of man glorified. We said last week that half of John's gospel is taken up, to that, taken up with that passion week. And uh, you know, that should be the focus of our lives in the Christian life, to, to continuously focus on the cross. You know That great hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of glory died you know that song my richest gain I count but lost and poor contempt on all my pride it is the greatest thing the greatest thing in the whole of history. but also secondly because at the cross he reversed the conduct of Adam through Adam he sinned and that sin was imputed to the entire human race we were born in sin because of Adam And that doesn't sound like fair, but it's wise. Because now this second man, this last Adam, Jesus, who came and died so that righteousness now can be imputed to us, not sin. Sin will never, ever be imputed to you as a believer again. Isn't that good news? Never. Jesus, because of what he did at the cross, he said, put it all upon me. And he suffered everything in our place and our righteousness is imputed to us but thirdly through death through death he destroyed him who had the power of death oh, I love that you know death has no sting for us now in fact death is a blessing because it means entrance into the presence of God now Jesus could say to that thief on the cross today Yes, you're going to die, but today you'll be with me in paradise. Hallelujah. As Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so, so this was the moment when the Son of Man would be glorified and God would be glorified in him. And, and, and so we can see why, why Jesus looked at everything as bad and as hard and as difficult and as awful it was. It was the moment when the Son of Man would be glorified. This passage comes to light. Yeah, Before these verses that we're going to read, Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was equal with God, did not count as equality with God something to be grasped, to be held on to, but came in the likeness of a man as a servant, and he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he died in our place in all that shame and horror and pain and suffering. And then it says, therefore, therefore, God has highly exhorted him and given him the name which is above every name. Now is the Son of God glorified. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Ever thought about that? Every person who has ever lived will bow the knee and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father now is the son of man glorified hallelujah jesus used this term i love this he called them little children it, it's a term of tender affection for his children he looked upon them he, he's not thinking about himself now he's thinking about them he's finished talking about himself but he's thinking about them they little children he says to them little children Used seven times in, in one John, in John's first epistle. He liked, loved that term and he he, he, you know, he he picked up on it and used it himself concerning his disciples, little children. Paul used it once. It's like a hen spreading out its wings over its yarn. Jesus was now gathering his disciples to, to calm them, to comfort them and to assure them. I've, I'm sure i told the story once of... Uh, uh, whether there was this huge forest fire and you know all the fire trucks came and it took them a long time to bring this fire under control and and while they would just about got it under control one of the firemen were walking back to his truck and he noticed in the pathway there this sort of mound and it was actually a, a, ber- a bird that had been burned in the fire and he wondered why it didn't escape but it, it was burned there and smoldering and He just sort of pushed it away with his foot. And as he did that, all these little chicks come running out from underneath. So there was the fire. The mother could have flown away. But she just spread her wings and protected and guarded and kept her chicks safe so that they could live. And and Jesus is like that. My little children, my little children. He now gathers them under his wings to comfort them and, and to assure them. And he said this. This is a phrase that we need to ponder. And he says, where I'm going now, you can't come. You can't come with me. Well, he was going to the cross. He was going to do that great work of redemption and, 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 and nobody could follow him there. there. You know, there's something about a, an aspect of secrecy between him and the father that no one else could enter into fully what happened. The pain even between them and that's illustrated you know when abraham went to offer up isaac um, the bible says that a servant came with them and they went he went so far then he said they said to the servant or abraham said to the servant you stay here the lad and i are going up yonder to worship you stay here you can't come with this what transpired there when the abraham offered up isaac though he didn't go through with it thank god God was testing him, but it was a type, it was a picture of the father offering up his son. What transpired there was was something that only the father and the son can know in depth and detail. And and we see this also in in the tabernacle. Um, When the high priest went in to the Holy of Holies, it says, there shall no man in the tabernacle of meeting, there shall be, sorry, no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in To make atonement in the holy place until he comes out. Isn't that interesting? There's much we know on this side of eternity. But there's something in the heart and, and the experience of God the Father and God the Son that only those can know between them what happened at the cross. You know, when Jesus cried, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had to. As he laid upon his Son our sin... And had to turn away in his holiness. Something that we cannot enter into or fully understand. And then he said, I shall, be no, I shall be with you a little longer, just a little while longer. That would have been like an earthquake to the disciples. All these years, you know, he had been with them. And now he says that they're like his little children. As a hen gathers, a, uh, you know, the chicks under her wings. But now he's saying, I'm going. But as we're going to see, he's, he's going to say also that... He's going to send the Holy Spirit, another comforter, to be with us. Another one just like Jesus. Then he says, a new commandment I give to you. The new commandment was that they not just love one another, but love one another as he had loved them. It's the only commandment he gave us. That we love one another as he has loved us. Amen? But without him, we can't do it, can we? Love is the badge of Christian discipleship. If you go back in church history, there was a time when, uh, I think it was in the second century, when the church was going through persecution, and yet the Christians just really stuck together. You know, we're seeing that a little bit now in in the Middle East, the way they rally together as a nation, even though there's a deep division politically, they kind of lay everything aside in persecution. And, and band together. And it was like that, you know, when, when the church was being persecuted in the first three centuries of the church. And uh, Tertullian, who's one of the church leaders at that time, he wrote down in his writings that the non-believers, the pagans, had this saying, behold, how they love one another. Look at the way they love one another. Isn't that a great testimony? The world was looking on at the church and they were just blown away by the incredible love that the Christians had one for another. And friends, that's all that Jesus has asked of us is that we will love one another as he has loved us. So success or failure is tested by this. You know, we can reach out and we, we, we can have people reject us and reject the gospel and reject our ministry and we can feel that we have failed. The question is, did you love them? That's the question. If you love them, you have succeeded. Love is success. It's not failure. Amen? And so, you know, um, back in those days, the, Jew, the Jewish Pharisees and leaders and rabbis, they all had sort of different symbols of their school. So if you, if you belong to this rabbi, you might have this sort of, phylactery tied around your head representing you belong to that school or tassels on the end of your garment today in the church we've got denominations. so so if you belong to this denomination then then this denomination worships on this day of the week or this denomination baptizes in that way or this denomination believes this about the holy spirit that's why denominations are not a good thing because that's what marks us out you see that's our mark but no The mark is that we love one another amen that's the mark that we should be uh, looking for and praying that God will will uh, enable us to 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 live out in our lives so that people would say of us that's the church where everyone loves one another you know they do say that about this church do you know that a lot of visitors say that about this church I'm not I'm not you know exaggerating this a lot of people that come and say, well, you guys really love one another. You know, there's a beautiful atmosphere of love. In my grandsons that came last week, both of them said, well, everyone here is so friendly. Everyone come up to us and talk to us and reached out to us. That's what Jesus is talking about, is that we will love people unconditionally, wherever they come from, doesn't matter their background, doesn't matter our faults, our failings, and so on. We see beyond that. We see them as Christ sees them, people for whom he died. Amen? Okay, let's finish up. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said to him, answered him, sorry, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow, Till you have denied me three times. Wow. All this Jesus knew. He knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that Peter would deny him three times. So we'll look at that as we finish up. Jesus is preparing his disciples for a new way of living dependence upon the Holy Spirit. He's going, he has to go away for the Holy Spirit to come. And that's the way we live now. We live by the Spirit. So we're going to look at that more in chapter 14. Okay? Now, what's the difference between Judas and Peter? The difference is that Judas would prove to be a pretender, but Peter, a weak believer. Outwardly, Judas posed as a disciple of Christ. Even his own fellow disciples never knew, right to the end, what was really going on in his life. Isn't that amazing? While outwardly, Peter for a while, appear to be an apostate. When you deny Christ, you're an apostate. I I don't know him. I I have nothing to do with him. That's what he said. Outwardly, it appears that he was an apostate. Satan would desire to have him, Peter, as he had Judas. Judas. But Jesus prayed for him. Do you remember Jesus said that? Satan has desired to have you, but I pray for you. And he intercedes for us too isn't that wonderful same would desire to have us but we've got an advocate who's constantly bearing us up before the father we're safe though he would fall peter he would also rise again before 3am peter will deny him three times and yet the lord did not cast him off he loved peter as he loved the other disciples unto the end right to the end and he will love us the same way. And after his resurrection, he sought him out and restored him to fellowship again. He actually made a, a beeline for Peter. He said, make sure Peter will meet up with me with the other disciples in Galilee. And he restored him. In the same way, he loves us too. In our salvation, the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. You you, you, you know, God's glorification and the the, the, the glorification of Jesus is actually tied up in our salvation. Can can you imagine, these people that think that, you know, you can lose your salvation, where is Christ's glory in that? Where is Christ glorified in that? Oh, some of those that he saved, they got lost along the way. No. Not one of them is lost, not one of them, because his glorification is tied up in our salvation. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, great passage. We know that, Lord, it's, uh, it opens us up to what was going on in the heart and the mind of Jesus as he was contemplating the betrayal of Judas. But we thank you that he saw beyond that to the glorification that would come that he would be lifted up and, and, and that every knee one day would bow and worship him and declare that he is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And Lord, we, we willingly and joyfully bow our knee and declare that Jesus is our Saviour and our Lord and our King of Kings. And we worship him today in his wonderful name. Amen. 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 Amen.